0: Hey, I want to thank you for tuning in to Press On. I pray that this podcast encourages you, enriches you, and inspires you to press on towards the cause of Christ. Why don't you visit me over at AaronRios.com and consider partnering with me so we can push this ministry forward. Pick out your favorite podcast, share it on social media, visit me at Apple or Google, write a quick review. Let's get this podcast out there. Let's get the hope of the gospel to as many listeners as possible. Welcome to Press On with Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church located in Beverly, Massachusetts. We pray that you are enriched, challenged, and inspired to press on towards the cause of Christ. Hey, welcome back. I wanna talk to you today about getting down. And no, I'm not talking about dancing. I'm not talking about busting a move. I'm talking about your posture. Do you know that your posture will determine your position? There's primarily two forms of posture. There's the carnal, worldly, societal posture, stand up loud, proud, bold, and that'll determine whether or not you're able to climb the ladder and hold a high position. But the kingdom of heaven also dictates a particular position that you and I are really called to pay attention to. I think it's best illustrated in the book of Philippians, which tells us that Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven and became a servant among all men. And I want you to think about this for a second. Had Jesus, who in heaven had no lack, no need, sat on the throne and was worshiped by angels, had stepped down from heaven and become the greatest king of all time on planet earth, which he will be, by the way, uh, but had he had he come down, uh, and ruled the earth, that would have been the greatest demotion in all of existence. To leave the glory of heaven, the eternal splendor to come down and step into the temporal earth as a great king, that would have been a great demotion and we could have worshiped Jesus and said, look at what he did for us. But Jesus took it a step further. Philippians tells us he became a servant among all men. Think about that for a second washing the feet of disciples, the king of heaven, washing feet. Posture dictates position. I'm going to be reading out of 1 Peter chapter 5. Beginning with verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of sufferings are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, here's my prayer that wherever you are and whenever, whatever you're doing and Whenever you're listening to this, that there'll be a seed implanted in your heart, and that that seed is going to yield a great transformation in you, that it might be in the posture of humility that you would experience the greatest joy, the greatest authority, and the greatest elevation. What do you know about Peter? I'm sure you know a little bit about Peter. He was one of the most prominent figures in scripture. To be honest, he walked with Jesus, but he also denied Jesus. In fact, so much so that he left the faith, he abandoned the faith and returned to his prior trade, which was fishing, before Jesus goes and calls to him and pulls him back. Hallelujah. Aren't you grateful that we serve a king, a savior that will meet you on your boat when you feel like you're not worthy to even walk it out, when you feel like you can't do it, when you feel like you've failed too miserably and Jesus doesn't wanna have anything to do with you, that we serve a great savior who will meet you on your boat, who will meet you when you have walked away from the faith and he'll call you back and lead you back. And that's what happened to Peter. He went from uh, turning away from the faith to within 50 to 60 days leading the church. Yeah, go ahead and read Acts chapter two. Under the empowerment, the authority, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we see Peter being used in such a powerful, mighty way that 3,000 people are brought into the faith in one day. Before Christ, we come to understand that Peter was somewhat of a brute. He was kind of loud. He was a a wild man. Maybe not as wild as I imagine him to be, but I've always just imagined him to be a man of bruteness and maybe not the best language. But what we see happen when God gets a hold of Peter is he goes from a brute to brute force for the kingdom. Outspoken, bold, presumptuous. What's the context of Peter's letter? Because it's those ingredients that the church is needing from the man of God in this moment. The context when Peter writes these letters uh, is the context of persecution. These letters are what are called catholic letters not because they were written to the catholic church the word catholic means universal so these are letters that would have been uh, circulated among the church and persecuted saints and i'm so grateful that that the inspiration of the holy spirit came upon peter to write universal letters that were relevant in those days and are relevant today the saints of those days are facing what uh, are facing institutionalized persecution institutionalized has become sort of the hot topic nowadays and I imagine will be moving forward institutionalized injustice or institutionalized persecution or whatever the institutionalized fill in the blank is normally refers to laws that govern the land that are innately pointed against a particular people group or a particular belief These are laws that you cannot appeal to because they are laws given down from the highest court of the land, and so they're solid. You're not gonna be able to appeal to the court that a speeding ticket is inaccurate if you have legitimately broken the law, right? So you can't appeal against a law that is a genuine law if you've genuinely broken it. Uh, Certainly you can litigate and you can appeal if there's been injustice committed, but what you have is institutionalized persecution because you have laws that are innately biased against followers of the way or early church christianity so what does the church do when we begin to face true persecution i want to tell you today if you want to succeed in the market you've got to lower yourself in the closet I want to tell you today if you want victory it is found on your knees listen you'll never experience victory in the public square until you first conquer yourself and experience victory in the prayer closet in the secret peter is writing to a group of people that their lives are on the line and i believe the message that he gave to them is the same message he gives to you and i today get low get low before god You want to understand how to overcome seasons of adversity and seasons of trial. Uh, Begins with getting low before the one who can sustain you through it all. So let's break this passage down. Peter begins by telling the church, receiving from God requires humility before God. You know what I've discovered? Is that we kneel before the things that we honor. We kneel before our gods. We kneel before those things that we worship. What I've come to understand is that there are times and seasons when we are to stand against the oppressor, but we kneel before the things that conquer us. I'll give you an example. Too many people are kneeling before culture and culture's agendas and before culture what culture has to say about your identity and about god and about what you can and cannot do so what does people in the church do is we kneel before culture why Because if we stand, we're telling culture we're in opposition to that. Why is it that we'll kneel before culture, but we'll stand before God? We've got it flipped. We've got to change the paradigm. We need to understand that God has called us to stand up against culture. God has told us to stand up against the movement and the ways of the spirit of the age and to kneel before God him see we kneel before the ones that conquer us but too often we're scared to kneel before things that are stronger than us we're scared to kneel sometimes before god in particular because what we do is when we kneel we make ourselves vulnerable why is it that it's so easy to allow culture to conquer us but so difficult to let god conquer us you got to flip the narrative you got to flip the script what i believe is that we're not confident in the love of god We're not confident that God has good plans for us. We're not confident that God genuinely cares and and God genuinely wants to give victory. And I do believe Peter is talking to the early church about this. He's saying, look, I know you're facing the lion's den and you're facing crucifixion, you're facing famine, you're facing sword. But though it might look like you're being conquered and overrun and overcome, Peter's telling us this is actually a blessing. Peter's telling us this is actually a good thing. I'm gonna help you understand it. I'm gonna help you discover it. He tells us, first of all, get under the hand of God. What's the hand? Well, the hand represents might and authority, approval, provision, protection. The hand of God. Oh, everybody wants from the hand of God, right? When the hand is extended to you, God, give me, give me, give me. Whether it's forgiveness or provisions, the things we're looking for is always from the hand. Peter's saying, get underneath the hand. Get underneath God's mighty hand. It's under the hand that you'll discover everything that you need now he then goes on to tell us to kneel before God now look your motive for kneeling will determine whether or not you're even kneeling before God in the first place kneeling is a posture and for the early church endurance was determined through the posture of humility how long can you kneel before God while you're being attacked how long will you keep yourself in humble submission before you open your mouth? Think of Jesus. Think of him in the, in the house of the Pharisees as they mocked him and spat upon him. And the Bible says he stayed silent in submission, not to the men, before God. And I believe that we've engaged in too many wars where we ought to be silent before God. Let God speak. Let God vindicate. Let God fight for you. Did Jesus not tell Peter, put down the sword? Maybe we've picked up the sword when we really should be kneeling before God. Why do you kneel? If you're kneeling before God only to get from God, then it's possible that you're not kneeling before God at all. God said, get under the hand and kneel and wait and trust. Those are big requests. But these are big requests to the church that is being matured. The church is going through persecution. You're not going to survive persecution if you're not mature. Oh, may God mature us. May God develop us. May God give us the strength that we need to not simply kneel, but to stay kneeling before him. So it leads me to a second thought that all that comes from God is a gift. This is what Peter wants people to understand, both your suffering and your healing. Would you have considered your suffering a gift? Most would say, of course not. Do you see hardship as a gift? No, no way. But Peter is saying, yes, it is. How do you begin then to see the challenges and the attacks? and the opposition as a gift. Well, here's how. You have to understand that a gift is not what you're given, but what you can give. Peter sees the hardship and difficulty as a gift because it allows him to bring something to God. The gift is not for you, but for God. It's his ability to endure hardship. It's his ability to endure difficulty. He says, what I'm facing, what I'm suffering is a gift before God. Now is God calling you to pain and to penitence and whipping yourself and going through abuses? No, but what God is looking for are people that he can demonstrate his presence and his ability to persevere in you and through you in the face of difficulty. That's when God receives the glory. That's when the power of God is revealed. I'll give you an example. How did the Apostle Paul stand through difficulty? Acts twenty-seven twenty tells us that when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and the storms continued raging, I finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now watch this here. Because difficulty and suffering are both a gift, just as much as healing and abundance. It is a gift. You gotta hear me today, it's a gift. They're gonna have different time frames, but everybody's gonna face difficulty, and everybody's gonna face moments and seasons of blessing if you're a child of God. But here is how you endure, and here is how the difficulty becomes a blessing. How did the Apostle Paul on a ship, in a storm, facing the raging waves when everybody's giving up and throwing in the towel and quitting. I'll tell you how you got to get a word. How do you keep going when neither sun nor moon nor stars are shining in your life? When you're wrecked by the storms of life, you have to be ready to step into the storms correctly. Paul had a word. Acts 27, 23 through 24. When everybody is freaking out, Paul says, hold up. I gotta tell you guys something. I'm not going to join in on the chaos. I'm not going to join in on the noise. I realize I'm in the same storm that you're in. But if you recall, Jesus was in a storm at one point and he was able to sleep through the storm in the same way that I believe Paul was able to communicate peacefully to the people. What does it say in Acts 27? It says, for just last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And look, God has granted you the lives of all who sail with you. Paul got a word from God. Have you received a word from God? Do you want to face your difficulty? Do you want to see the challenges in your life become a blessing and a testimony? You got to get a word before you go into the storm. You got to hold on. Too many of us are in the storm, fumbling through the word, trying to get a word from God in the middle of the storm. And God is gracious. Sometimes he comes walking out on the storm and extends his hand to you. Sometimes he sends an angel in the middle of the storm. But most often, if you get your word before you face the storm, then you can face the storm sleeping in the belly of the ship, just like Christ Jesus. Why? Because you might know how your story ends, Paul knew that he was called to stand before the king, not to die in the storm. And I prophesy that many of you are in the storm, but God hasn't called you to die in the storm. He's called you to make it through the storm. You may make it shipwrecked to the shore, but you're going to make it. You may lose it all, but you're not going to lose a life. And even if you show up on the shore, and even if a viper sneaks out of the fire and bites you on the hand, your destiny is not to die on the island or die in the sea. God has called you to stand before kings. Hallelujah. So the next thing you do, if you want to see suffering and challenges as a gift, you got to start worshiping. Acts five forty one says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Worship is your tool. Worship is your key. Worship is a powerful weapon, but you need to know how to worship. Worship isn't just singing pretty songs. Worship is elevating the will, the plan, and the call of God and sacrificing your will, your plan, and your call on the altar. Let the fire of God consume it that the fragrance of the ash would rise up to the nostrils of God, giving God the glory. How are you gonna make it through the difficult seasons? You gotta start worshiping God. You gotta start worshiping God. It's in the worship that the prison chains break free. It's in the worship that the angel shows up and swings the gates wide open. It's in the worship that the earth begins to quake and the stones are rolled away. If you wanna face your adversity in victory, you gotta change your posture of trying to bow out your chest and trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you need to get low and begin to worship the king of glory. And then thirdly, you need to know your reason. You need to know if your pain is from persecution or poor decisions because there are some people that are heaping problems on themselves and they're blaming God. Not every hardship is of God. Many hardships are from your own bad choices. Check out Genesis 50:20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. Look, the truth is, despite the culprit, if you've gotten yourself into a bind, if you've gotten yourself into a situation and you don't know the way out, whether it's sickness or disappointment, God can use your circumstances for his glory if you will hold on. In other words, at any point, you can turn the wheel over and say, Lord, I've made a mess of things. Lord, I've tried doing it in my own way, but now I'm ready to do it your way. I give you the key. I give you the wheel. Lord, take control and lead me out of this mess but not just to get out of it right you've got to know your reason it's not just to make it out of this bind that i'm in but it's to serve you all the days of my life look you need a word you need to worship you need to keep holding on you need to know the reason your life is purpose to bring god glory stop asking when will this be over and begin to ask god to receive the worship despite the length of the season of challenge Now here's the third thing, say this with me, cast your anxiety, cast your anxiety. I'm gonna say it again, cast your anxiety, but I'm gonna finish it with this, not necessarily your problem. You see, your victory does not come from relief. It comes from knowing the love of God in your circumstance. Losing the anxiety associated with the problem, even if you don't lose the problem, is still a victory. That means you can now face the problem minus the threat. That means the lion that was growling at you has no teeth. That means the dog that was trying to bite you has no teeth. All of a sudden, the snake that was trying to bite you has no venom. All of a sudden, the bug that was trying to sting you it has no stinger. You can lose the anxiety associated with the problem. Even if you remain the problem, you'll begin to walk in victory. Why? Because I love the words he uses. He uses the words cast. Who's this coming from? Peter. What was Peter? A fisherman. What's he telling us? Did you realize that anxiety is fishing bait? Did you realize, he's saying cast your anxiety Quit trying to throw the problem and start throwing the anxiety that's associated with the problem. And as you cast it out, you're going to begin to reel in a harvest. Your net is going to be overflowing with peace. The problem is too many of us don't know how to fish for peace. We need to begin to fish for peace. Anxiety can become the bait that you cast, literally throw it off of you to begin to fish for peace. Anxiety is evidence of the bait that you need in order to pull in. Peace. God has called you to fish for peace. You can't fish for peace without the bait. Anxiety is the bait. You need to put it on the hook and throw it in the water and keep casting it in over and over again. Cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. Cast it into the sea of God's love. Cast it into the waves of his presence and begin to reel in the peace of God. Did you know that the devil to a believer who is submitted to God is not the greatest threat? The greatest threat to a believer, is living a life in disobedience, unsubmitted to God. Look, the devil's job is to try to tempt you and to try you. Trials and temptations are gonna be guaranteed. Too many of us are like students praying for the rapture right before the pop quiz. I don't know about you, but I sat through many tests praying for the rapture when what I should have been doing was praying to get prepared at all times. I can pray deliverance over somebody and the demonic pressures and the bondage will alleviate, but you are called to discipleship if you want to walk in freedom. And if you want to walk in victory, then you have to walk in submission and in obedience. What I'm trying to say is that your victory comes back to submission and humility under the hand of God. Not to get your paycheck, but to be content in his presence. Too many of us get under the hand of God with the motivation of getting. But what if the getting under the hand of God is the goal? Staying under the hand of God. Sometimes we spend so much time resisting what God is trying to do that we miss what God is trying to do. You'll never experience true victory or true joy until you experience true contentment and joy in simply being in the presence of God. God has called you to be under the hand. God has called you to walk in submission. Are you walking in submission? Are you experiencing abundant life? Are you experiencing true joy? What does Peter continue to tell us? If we can walk these things out, then there is a promise of restoration. He says, then God will raise you up in his timing. This is the prize, God will restore. What is he gonna restore? His promises. His presence. God will restore the things that the enemy is working hard to strip away out of your life. Are you watching things being stripped out of your life? Are you watching liberties being stripped away from you? Are you watching uh, your resources being filed away? Are you watching things in your life, whether it's your church shrinking, your community shrinking, friendships losing because you're trying to go after God? Listen, all of the things that you lose in your pursuit of God, God promises to restore it far greater. He says, in due time, God will do several things. Perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish. What do those phrases mean? Perfect. I like this. Perfect means in the original language that he would bring you to the condition in which you are supposed to be. That's what perfecting it is. Think of one of those old cars that people are working to restore, bringing it back into the rightful condition. Oh, that God would be the one perfecting you and restoring you. Then he says, I will confirm you. I like this, it means to prop you up. In other words, you're not standing in your own strength, you're not standing in your own legs, that he would be your legs, he would be your foundation. So he's gonna bring you into the proper condition, then he himself will prop you up, he will hold you up and keep you, thirdly, strengthened. I like this, strengthened means ability to move in the way that achieves something in the most effective way. I used to practice CrossFit and one of the phrases that was used in the CrossFit gyms was functional fitness it meant that the human body was designed to do certain things. Stand up a certain way, move your arms a certain way, lift a certain amount. Being able to age gracefully without losing mobility. And so this is what God is saying is that he's designed you to function, to move and to do things in a certain way. He wants to strengthen you so that you can do the things that he's called you to do. It's not just show muscle. It's not just superfluous muscles that don't do anything. He's trying to strengthen you in the areas that you've been called to function in so that you would function with great strength and great power. And then lastly, he says, establish you. This is pouring the concrete and letting the concrete dry. He wants to lay the foundation. He wants to be your foundation. So what do all of those things, perfecting, confirming, strengthening, establishing, I have in common? Well, it recognizes that God is truly your source and your true destiny is only worked out through humility. It only happens under the hand of God. There's a lot of people that are waiting for great things to happen, but they're not under the hand of God. They're under their own hand. They're under the mercy of things around them. But God is saying, relax and get under my hand and let me establish you. So my question is, are you under God's hand or are you trying to make yourself? Are you under God's hand or are you trying to make the promotion happen? I don't suggest we simply sit back and let the world walk all over you. But to the contrary, I realize that it's when I'm low that that's when I become a conqueror in Christ. To be more than a conqueror through Christ, I must first be conquered by Christ. Are you conquered by Christ? Are you under his hand? Can you get a mental picture of what that actually looks like? Subdued and submitted under the hand of God with the right motivation until he's ready to release you. I believe this is going to be a year of exponential growth. I believe this is going to be a year where you begin to see rapid succession of victories as you humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Why? Because I believe the enemy has worked hard to steal uh, and rob and cheat and deceive and take the things from you that God intended for you to have. But I believe God is going to restore the years that the locusts have consumed. I believe we are going to see exponential growth in the body. We're going to see exponential wildfire of the Spirit, begin to spread around the communities and the churches for the glory of God. You believe that for yourself, but it's going to require you positioning yourself in humility under God's mighty hand. Thank you for joining us. If today's message encouraged you to keep running the race, we invite you to share this message with others. You can join Pastor Aaron weekly at Garden City Church in person or online. Till next time, keep pressing on.